0: I think it's probably good to talk a little bit about sexual violence in general, because I think that will put it into context. I think sexual violence and sexual misconduct and sexual abuse, it's an issue in all our societies. And I think it will continue to be an issue until you address or until we address societies, the underlying issues, which include equality. It includes power differentials. It includes involving women in decision making. It includes giving socio-economic opportunities to women and therefore i think given the, the fact that it's endemic in our societies it's expectable that from time to time we're going to have cases in the un that's very unfortunate because not only does it break down the trust between us and those we serve but it also it has absolutely no place within the united nations I think in a lot of the environments in which we work, whether that's war, whether that's humanitarian or even development, we're dealing with vulnerable people, vulnerable groups. And I think that leaves them more vulnerable to these kinds of crimes. We're working very, very hard within the United Nations to eradicate sexual exploitation and abuse from within our ranks. I think a lot has been done over the last five to six years in this respect but we are by no means where we need to be in terms of eradicating it from within our ranks.
1: Okay, so let's just talk about what the United Nations and its member states are doing to hold perpetrators accountable. How do you also overcome cultural differences on what might constitute inappropriate attitudes to women and girls let alone sexual and gender-based violence. I mean these are so difficult. What is it that you're doing as the special coordinator on improving the UN's response to sexual exploitation and abuse? I think a lot has been done
0: over the last five to six years in this area in terms of developing a framework in terms of policies, processes, awareness, training and I think member states and the UN have done a lot. In terms of accountability. I don't think we've done enough. I don't think we've done nearly enough, meaning the collective we, member states and the United Nations. I think the prosecution of crimes involving sexual violence is not where it needs to be in any country in the world. And in terms of how the UN deals with this, I don't think we're where we need to be in terms of holding people accountable. I think, first and foremost, we have an accountability to the victims it should never have happened their lives are never going to be the same again and primary accountability is to the victims to ensure they get the necessary support they need whether that's psychosocial or medical support or whether that's legal judicial support or indeed support to try and help them put their lives back together and to support any children that may result from sexual exploitation and abuse
1: Can you just also explain how you overcome cultural differences on what might constitute inappropriate attitudes to women and girls?
0: I think that that's a difficult area and a huge challenge. The way that we're approaching it is through advocacy, through training. And it's given that sexual exploitation and abuse is an ever-present danger. That has to be reiterated time and time again. It just needs to be clear to people that if you work for or with the United Nations, then you abide by our principles and our values. And our values are absolutely zero tolerance to sexual exploitation and abuse within our ranks
1: that kind of outreach must be absolutely critical. And I guess that's what you're going to be doing when you're going to be traveling to Kenya, Mali, Pakistan and South Sudan in the next few months. You've just been appointed in the last few months as the special coordinator, as I said, on the UN's response to sexual exploitation and abuse. I mean, you must, you won't be relishing meeting victims of sexual violence, but it must be really useful to you in in showing you exactly what needs to be done.
0: That's a very good point. We actually have, a victim's rights advocate who was appointed as part of the Secretary General's new strategy in 2017, Jane Connors, and she has an office whose primary responsibility is to address the rights and needs of victims. I try as much as possible not to meet victims unless they want to meet with me and talk with me because our policy is to do no harm. And and often if you invade people's space after such events, You reopen the trauma and I leave that side to Jane Connors, the victims' rights advocate, and her her small team of senior victims' rights officers who work in the largest missions.
1: What's your message that you're going to be taking to humanitarian coordinators, heads of peacekeeping missions, and development partners when you go on your travels to Kenya, Mali, Pakistan, and South Sudan in the coming months?
0: My message to... Those working in the countries that I'm going to visit is that it is an ever present danger, and you have to continue your vigilance. It has to be part of the core functions of every operation, every UN entity. It has to be part of the DNA of anyone who works for the UN training, retraining, communications, ensuring you have resources on the ground to coordinate. Um, uh, this particular issue, to ensure that it is not forgotten and that it is constantly being addressed is very, very important. I think we've become much better over the last few years. When the Ukraine crisis happened, the UN was very, very quick to put in place the necessary resources and the necessary processes and mechanisms. What's particularly important is also raising awareness amongst the populations we serve, so that if there are red flags. If there are instances of sexual exploitation and abuse, they know how to report it in order to not only get assistance, but also to ensure that we can hold perpetrators accountable.
1: That's an interesting point. You talk about raising the alarm. How exactly does a victim of sexual violence raise the alarm outside the humanitarian or development bubble that they might find themselves in, in a protection of civilian site, for example? Is there a hotline to you or to your advocacy team? There isn't
0: a hotline to me or my advocacy team, but in most countries there is a hotline where they can report allegations or instances. There are also complaints boxes There's no one-size-fits-all. Different populations and different countries have different ways of reporting. I have to say, I think this is something that we need to improve. I don't think we do it particularly well at this point in time. And that's one of the things we're going to be looking at over the coming months, is to see how we can improve the complaints mechanisms within our respective operations.
1: Finally, just taking maybe a few country situations, you spoke about Ukraine and putting in steps there to protect women and girls. Let's have a look then also at South Sudan because the Malakal protection of civilian sites was in the news recently. There was an investigation after long standing claims of sexual abuse and exploitation, peacekeepers and aid workers, not only the United Nations. So maybe you could tell us what measures are being implemented there to protect women and girls.
0: Thank you. Some of the measures I've mentioned are also applicable in South Sudan in in terms of training, advocacy, communicating our values, complaints mechanisms and the like. Probably what's important is to note is that there is no silver bullet, there is no magic wand. I think there are lots of different things ...that you have to put in place in order to reduce the risk of sexual exploitation and abuse occurring. As an example, in peacekeeping operations, I think it's important to have the peacekeeping camps some way away from IDP camps or internally displaced persons camps... I think it's important to have mixed teams of, so to ensure that you have mixed teams of civilians and military personnel who visit the camps or patrol the camps. I think it's important to have a presence of military police for the soldiers themselves. I think it's important that the standards of accommodation that you make available to them are appropriate. I think it's important that they have internet connections so that they can speak with their families on a regular basis and um, have some entertainment in terms of, of being able to watch a program or a movie in the evenings. I think it's important that they have the necessary sports equipment so that they have activities to do in their off time. Those are just some of the examples of the different things that I think you need to put in place to ensure that you reduce the risk. In terms of, again, in terms of the humanitarians, again, Regular R&R is important so that they can get out and decompress and visit their families. And I think mixed teams also is, is an important initiative.
1: Thank you. That's very interesting to hear some of the ways and means of preventing sexual and gender-based violence. I did have one more question. I didn't ask you why you were drawn to this topic
0: I had a previous boss who didn't like attending the meetings on this particular issue, so he used to send me. And I contributed ideas during those meetings. And then I was seconded onto the Secretary General's high-level task force when he first came into office in 2017 to help develop the new strategy. It's something that has absolutely no place in our societies or the UN. And it's a space I think I can do some good.